You are listening to Episode 17 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 38, Diurnia System, January 5th, 2373. The chief assured me that the Burleson drives were ready to go, but I was still nervous. The jump from here to there marked the point where we were no longer leaving someplace and started arriving. In a few moments, the Burleson drives would grab the warp and weft of space-time and fold it, punching a hole from here to there through the contiguous faces in the fabric. The process put us a lot closer to where we might be going than we had been a tick before. The idea of messing with the fundamental nature of the universe with an untried drive made me a little nervous. I set jump for 11.30 so everybody would be up and moving. It's not like we could do much if it all went sour, but if we needed help, all the help we had would be at hand. I had the morning watch to make sure we were on track in the right position and that the math was right. I jumped dozens, if not hundreds of times. I'd even pressed the button myself for two stanyards while I was second mate on the tinker. I think my real concern was that everything else in the ship was run down and needed work. I feared that the drives might be in the same condition. I had Miss Arioni sit in the engineering console on the bridge, and Miss Maloney took one of the extra seats with us. The chief had his fingers in the machinery aft, and I hoped he was right about the drive. At fifteen seconds to jump, I keyed the intercom. Stand by to jump. Ten. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. And I pressed the key. Nothing happened. I stared at the boards. I looked ahead and realized with a start that, yes, there was a bright star up ahead, and the navigational plots updated with the nearest beacon data. A glance at the engineering console showed that the drives had been online, were now offline, and that the sail generators were ready for me to raise sail. Shaking my head, I keyed the intercom. Everything okay back there, Chief? There was a pause, and then a, oh, I Cap, you didn't barely scratch him, though. Next time maybe we ought to take a longer jump, hey? Longer jump? His cackling cut off when he let go of the intercom. Welcome to Welliver, ladies, I said. Seems like the ship has a little more power than we thought. Is that good, sir? Miss Arione asked. It means we can jump a long, long way, Miss Arione. That seems like a good thing to me, sir. I nodded and started punching up the plot corrections for our run into Welliver. I was slow and out of practice, but I made it eventually and updated the helm data for the autopilot. Miss Maloney, I believe you have the watch. If you'd like to come take the hot seat, I'll walk you through raising the sails and getting on the beam. We changed the watch, and I stepped her through the simple processes required for getting underway in open space. It was basic ship handling, but she'd only been aboard a few days, and we were lagging in our instructional efforts. Meanwhile, Miss Arione went below to make lunch. When the course had stabilized under the autopilot's direction, we sat there for a few moments, admiring the stars. Any idea when we'll get into Welliver, Captain? Late in the day on the 11th, I think, Miss Maloney, just under two weeks, port to port. She shook her head. Why don't other fast packets go this fast, Captain? I suspect they do, Miss Maloney, or they would if they were jumping as empty as we are at the moment. She frowned. I don't think I've ever taken the Ellis anywhere in less than three weeks, and more usually a month. Well, it depends on a lot of factors, but load and sail are the two keys for a run like this, Miss Maloney. We'd have needed to sail longer if we had as much cargo mass aboard as we're rated for. Because we couldn't go as fast, Captain. How does that work? Well, getting the mass moving is one factor, certainly, but we need to get beyond the Burleson limit so that the drives can bend space. 
They can't bend space that's already deformed too much by gravity, and the ship always deforms it slightly based on its own mass. A low-mass vessel doesn't need to get as far out to get it to a place where it can jump. I'm with you so far, Sar. Small ships have bigger mass-to-sail ratios as a rule, because a big ship needs big sail generators, which in turn drives their total mass up. A small ship can afford a better ratio, so the smaller vessels can go faster and don't have to go as far to begin with. So, because we're running light, we could sail faster and jump sooner? Precisely, Miss Maloney. She laughed a little. Something funny, Miss Maloney. Normally I hate traveling, Captain. I think that was one of the things that irked me the most about this quarter share for a Stanyard deal. Normally, Miss Maloney. Yes, Captain, I travel a lot, mostly fast packets, usually the Ellis. I resented being locked in a can for weeks at a time with little to do, cut off from everything, and surrounded by people you'd like to strangle by the third day. She looked at me and shrugged. I thought it would be like that here. I don't even have a private compartment, and to have to room with somebody else, a tiny room at that. Looking forward to a stanier? She shuddered dramatically with a grin on her face. But I was sitting here thinking, Oh, darn, we'll be in port soon. That's when I laughed. It's not so bad. Even with the watch standing and the cooking, I smiled at her. Thanks for that, by the way. You're not obligated to do that, but it does make things easier on me. Oh, you're quite welcome. I enjoy cooking, and no, it's not so bad. Not only is it not bad, but having something to do, having a purpose, having this view. She waved her hand at the armor glass. Do you know how rare a view out of the ship is? Yes, actually, I think I do. Except for the bridge, the Agamemnon is the only ship I've ever been on that had a view. The captain's cabin and the tractor-class ships have a panoramic view forward. The big liners have observation decks, too, Captain. Mostly they're crowded and too bright to be able to see well, and you have to stand. There's no sitting or getting comfortable to read or anything. I never rode on a passenger liner. They're slow, largely geared toward distracting the passengers so nobody realizes just how much time the trip is taking. She shook her head. I travel on small ships when I can. I happen to know a guy who has a fleet. He lets me. Her face clouded. He used to let me go wherever I wanted. We sat quietly on the dimness for a few ticks, and I saw the chrono had run well past 1,200. Come on, Miss Maloney, let's go get some lunch, shall we? You can come back to your view after. I'll be down in a tick or two, Captain. If you don't mind, I'd like to sit here for a bit. It's your watch, Miss Maloney. Sit here all you like. With a wave, I headed down the ladder to the galley and hoped I'd find a sandwich or two with my name on it. The chief met me on the mess deck with a big grin on his face. That's one monster of a drive down there, Cap. A real monster, or I hain't never seen one. I poured a fresh cup and joined Miss Arione and the chief at the table. It was smooth enough. I didn't think we'd jumped when I pushed the button, chief. I was getting ready to call you when the nav system updates kicked in. Them drives is rated at nine, Cap. That's under load. Running near empty like we are, that's really something like 14. You know how banging far we can go on a 14-unit jump, Cap, do you? Greenfields are better, I'd guess, Chief. You know it, Cap. Don right you know it. The Chief subsided into his lunch, leaving me to make a sandwich of my own, and I glanced at Miss Arione, who had a concerned look on her face. Is she all right, Skipper? Her eyes flickered toward the bridge. Oh, yes, Miss Arione. Taking in the sights for a few ticks is all. She looked dubious. Not like her to miss a meal, sir. I gave a low laugh. Not like anybody would go hungry, Miss Arione. We always have food in the chiller. She gave a kind of sideways shrug of agreement. How's the cleaning going? Will we have compartments ready for passengers? 
Oh, the cleanup is going well, Captain, but the fittings are a bit dated. Fittings, Miss Arione. The consoles and the compartments, they are rather old and slow. Many of the keyboards are dirty and the screens are scratched and small. Can we replace them, Chief? I turned to him and saw him nodding in agreement. All the electronics is old, Cap. The main systems boards, have you looked at them? No, probably not. But look at them. You know systems. I know you do. Don't you? I do, Chief. Take a look at them on watch, up there on the bridge. Look from up there. Okay, I'll do that, Chief. I turned back to Ms. Arione. What about decorating? Any ideas how to make them look like more than boxes? Without adding a lot of mass, sir. I think we have mass to burn, Miss Arione. Unless we load up with something heavier than lead, it'll be almost impossible to reach our rated mass. What did you have in mind? I didn't have anything in mind, sir, but we tend to overlook paintings of the like because they add mass. Might be nice to have something on the bulkheads besides paint. Does Miss Maloney have any ideas? She does indeed, Captain. Miss Maloney stepped onto the mess deck and headed for the coffee pot. Is there any food left? Miss Arione grinned at her. Plenty. Pull up a chair. We were just talking about the passenger compartments. They're really not bad, Miss Maloney replied, setting her full mug down on the table before taking her seat. Architecturally interesting with the curved overheads. It helps them look a bit less like jail cells. The texture on the bulkheads, the exposed structural elements, give them a bit more feeling. Miss Arione turned to Miss Maloney. We talked about replacing consoles, Chris. The chief thinks there's a bigger system problem. Ah, you, don't you go putting words in my mouth, the chief grinned at her. I said the whole system needs looking at by somebody who knows them. Didn't I say that? I did. He gave an emphatic nod. Ms. Maloney gave him a fond smile, and Ms. Arione shrugged. Well, at any rate, we were talking about paintings, maybe, or something for the bulkheads. A thoughtful frown creased Ms. Maloney's brow as she filled a sandwich and dressed it with a bit of mustard. You know what might be nice? Some kind of fiber art. She took a bite of her sandwich and chewed thoughtfully. Ms. Arione looked at her with one eyebrow raised. Fiber art? You mean like grass and stuff? Ms. Maloney swallowed before replying, a tiny grin tilting her lips. Well, maybe. But I was thinking more like a tapestry or perhaps a less structured piece. It doesn't have to be a Tobias or a Frenchette, but something to break up the plane of the bulkhead, maybe give a bit of color. Oh, Ms. Arione turned to me. Captain, you had some woven hangings in the cabin in the Agamemnon, didn't you? Yeah, I brought them. They're in my grav trunk. I haven't had a chance to hang them. They do help dress the place up, and they cut down on the echoey sound. Ms. Arione looked pleased. Maybe we could borrow one and see how it looks? We've got three compartments cleaned and painted, if you'd like to look at them, sir. I would, Ms. Arione. I actually felt rather chagrined that I hadn't paid that much attention on the run out. They'd been working for a couple of days, and the ship periodically smelled of paint. Ms. Maloney, you mentioned Tobias and... Frenchette, Captain, two of the bigger names in fiber production. Andrea Tobias has a wonderful grasp of texture and structure, while William Frenchette uses bold colors in conjunction with a more sculptural style. It gets away from the standard tapestry or carpet. Ms. Arione closed her eyes for one long beat and then opened them again. You sound like a museum guide, Chris. Ms. Maloney smiled but didn't offer any explanation. She turned to me. I do think something on the walls, that is, the bulkheads, would soften the edges, and the consoles, particularly the displays. She didn't finish the thought, just shook her head. They don't have to be as big as that one, she nodded at the one on the bulkhead, but something large enough to make it comfortable watching a video would be nice. Thank you both, that's good information. Do you think we'll be taking on passengers in Wellover, Captain? Ms. Maloney asked. Well, it depends on whether or not I can get my steward's endorsement. It shouldn't be too hard. 
Well, we should have the compartments ready for mattresses and linens. We might want to give the heads a freshing up. How are we fixed for paint, I asked. Almost gone, but might be enough to do the last compartment. We'll be on Welliver in a few more days if you come up short. I shrugged. I'm not sure we can get passengers at all, and maybe we should focus on getting one or maybe two compartments ready. Start slow before we fill the ship. I saw nods all around the table. Miss Maloney finished her sandwich, stood, and gave a little wave. Well, back to work for me. She bust her dirties, refilled her mug, and grabbed a cookie on the way to the ladder. Good idea. Yep, sure is. And with that, the chief did the same, ambling aft toward engineering. You made it. At least I can do is clean it up, Miss Arione. But would you like to see the hangings before I start? Let's get this cleared up first, sir, and then I can show you what we've done. In less than ten ticks, I found myself holding the largest of the hangings against the bulkhead in compartment A. I had to admit the idea had merit. I wondered if we could find more at the flea market at Welliver. I struggled to remember where the co-op had gotten them originally. While I stood there, I had to admit that Ms. Arione was right about the consoles. They looked very dated and not the kind of impression I thought we needed to make on guests. Granted, Iris was a freighter, but that was no reason for the passengers and crew to be uncomfortable. That looks great, don't you think, Skipper? Ms. Arione admired it, but my arms were getting tired. I do, Ms. Arione, and we need to find some more. I think this is going to work out nicely, sir, don't you? I stepped down and lowered my arms, letting the rug pool onto the bare rack. I do indeed, Miss Arione. I do indeed. Chapter 39. Welliver System, January 10th, 2373. The chief had been right about the systems. I spent one whole midwatch crawling through them, checking the specifications on the boards and processors, sorting through the archives, and generally trying to get a feel for the way the ship's systems were wired. The ship was ten stanniers old. The systems looked much older. They reminded me more of the Lois McKendricks than the Agamemnons. That they worked at all stood testament to the builders. The builders had tuned the ship to work with slow-speed networks and low-power devices. I pondered that in my idle moments and wondered why. In my wanderings, I found several archives of manufacturers' promotional materials, some old sales brochures, and the original ship's logs. I set those all aside, routing the logs to the console in the cabin and tucking the other material into a public archive. I needed to find a path to migration. I didn't want to spend a week in port rebuilding the ship's systems board by board, but I was leery about swapping out engineering control systems while underway. We really needed to replace the complete communication subsystem from the main routing processors forward, but that backbone also carried internal control communications. The more I thought about it, the more I came to believe I needed a yard, preferably the Higby yard, to do the work. I did find some good news. The internal communications network, the subsystem that routed information to the various consoles and tablets, could be updated relatively easily, although it probably would not be cheap. It would allow us to hang some better consoles in the passenger compartments and take full advantage of the new consoles the chief had installed on the bridge. With a sigh and a wince at the dwindling state of my bank account, I set about putting together a replenishment order for the Welliver Chandlery. It didn't take long for me to burn through a lot of credits, but by the time we got underway again, we would be in much better shape. Thinking about getting underway again reminded me, and I pulled up the available cargoes list from Welliver and restricted it to cargoes under 900 cubic meters and 9 metric kilotons. We were close enough to get regular updates from the data beacons. On a whim, I adjusted the distance criteria to extend to 7 Burleson limits. From Welliver, that meant we could jump to 10 of the 14 systems in the quadrant. 
At 0200, I finally remembered that it was the mid-watch. Watch standing could do that to you. You go on watch, get off watch, go on watch, get off watch, and just keep going. After a while, you don't really notice which one it is, just that you're there. I went down to the galley and got the cleaning gear. It felt good to be engaged in the moment, not particularly worried about what was going to happen next or some task that I needed to do but had forgotten. All I needed to do was focus on sweep, swab, clean, and polish. It appeared my ratings were keeping up the practice because I didn't find any accumulated dirt or grime, even in the corners where it tends to build up. The beauty of the system really came down to the idea that if somebody forgot, like I almost did, then the next midwatch would pick up the chain again and the incremental crud would probably not be noticeable. As long as one person didn't get stuck doing it all, it worked out well for the ship and equitably for the watches. I finished wiping down the armor glass and stood there for a moment, looking out at Welliver and its orbital. We were coming in at a good clip, and the planet showed as a recognizable orb. Even the orbital itself was taking on a can shape instead of the pinprick of light against the dark. The gleaming light highlighted that odd patch of hull in front of the bridge again. It almost looked like an oblong of smooth metal set into the rougher texture of hull plating. It reminded me again of the schematic that Ms. Arioni and I had studied, but I needed to finish stowing the cleaning gear, and by the time I got back to the bridge, the priority load blinking on my tablet banished all thoughts of odd hull plating. 700 cubic meters, massing 1,500 metric tons, needed to be on 10 volt by February 1st. I pulled up the astrogation screen and ran some numbers. In theory, we could make it to 10 volt by January 29th with a three-day stay in Welliver. I remembered the last day I'd bid on a priority out of Welliver and the desperate jump through the deep dark to make it on time. I also remembered failing. After only a few ticks of dithering, I grabbed for it and the load came back claimed. I was right about the longer runs. That one cargo would gross us more than five times the inbound loads we had aboard. I knew from experience that there were not that many ships with the legs to jump from Welliver to Tenvold. I smiled as my strategy began to take shape. The chrono clicked over to 0500, so I slaved my tablet to the bridge console and went down to the galley to start breakfast. While I was there, I relinked my tablet to the big screen on the bulkhead and started pulling out flour, milk, and eggs. I had a taste for pancakes, and I happened to know where there were some blueberries in the freezer that would go very nicely. At 05.30, Ms. Arioni joined me in the galley, looking relatively chipper for an early morning watch. Of course, she was an experienced watchstander, so she knew the drill. Good morning, Skipper. She beamed at me and then frowned as the coffee ran out before her mug filled up. Hey, that's not fair. Oh, sorry about that. I was just getting ready to start one. Do you want to flip these and I'll get the fresh pot going? I held out the spatula. She grinned and took it. I got busy working on the coffee. It took only a couple of ticks before water dribbled over fresh ground beans. With that chore finished, I offered to take the spatula back, but she just grinned and asked, What? No bacon? I snickered and rummaged in the cooler. Soon had a dozen rashers cooking on a rack in the oven. She let me have the spatula back then and made a beeline for the coffee pot just as the ready light came on. She wasted no time pouring a cup, adding a dollop of cream, and then sighing her satisfaction after the first sip. Ah, uh, there's nothing like the first cup of the day, is there, Sar? I confess it kind of runs together on me, Miss Arioni. I never know whether any given cup is the first one of the day or just the next one. She smiled to humor me, but made no move to run up to the bridge. I glanced at her out of the corner of my eye. So how are you getting along with Miss Maloney? She glanced back and shrugged. She's okay, I guess, Sar. You guess? She seems nice enough. Not at all what I expected. What did you expect, Ms. Arioni? Well, sir, how would you feel if you were being forced into slave labor for a stanier? 
I looked at her with a snort. Is that how you see working for me, Miss Arioni? Slave labor? She rolled her eyes. Sar, that's not what I mean, and you know it. For people like us, this is normal. It's life. It's what we do. She paused and sipped, studying me over the top of her mug. She's not like us, Sar. She's rich. She doesn't need this. Actually, I believe she does if she wants her inheritance, Miss Arioni. She didn't look convinced. Sar, don't you think it's suspicious that she's being so easy? I arched an eyebrow. Easy, Miss Arioni? After the first few days, she just rolled over, Sar. Whatever we want, she goes along with. She's even coming up with ideas herself. She eyed me. Don't you find that, I don't know, suspicious? What, society woman reduced to the drudgery of shipboard life? Something like that, Sar. Has she said anything to you? No, Sar, nothing. Not one whine, complaint, or quibble. We've had sandwiches for lunch for the better part of two weeks. Even I'm getting tired of them. And she hasn't said anything. I felt immediately guilty. I was out of practice in my menu planning and needed to do better. I missed Avery Wyatt. Oh, sorry about that, Ms. Arioni. What would you like for lunch? Should I make some soup or something? She grinned and shook her head. Actually, I can't think of anything myself. But if I could have, I probably would have said something before now. That's not the point, Sar, and you know it. It's not natural. Everybody complains. Except her. She sighed and buried her nose in her mug again. I finished off the pancake, slipped the platter into the warming oven, and turned down the heat on the bacon. So how are you getting along otherwise, Miss Arioni? I like her. Her tone was sullen and sulky. You like her, Miss Arioni. You say that like it's a problem. I just want to know what she's up to. She paused, glancing up at me. And in a stanius she'll be gone and we'll never see her again. I refilled my cup from the fresh urn. Such is the nature of shipmates, Miss Arioni. They come and go. Yes, well. She gave the point grudgingly, but the sulk didn't leave her face. Come on, Miss Arioni. I nodded toward the ladder. Let's relieve the watch. We trotted up to the bridge and handled the requisite formalities, but Miss Arioni still frowned. Has she talked about her background, Miss Arioni? What it was like for her growing up, what she did before she joined us? Maybe what she's going to do when she leaves? Miss Arioni shrugged half-heartedly. Not really. She went to a lot of schools, mostly someplace else. Apparently, Mummy and Daddy didn't really want her underfoot. Did she say that? Not in so many words, but I asked her one night where she'd learned to cook. You've seen her cook, Sar. She knows which side of the burner gets hot. I have, and she does, Miss Arioni. She said her mother sent her to some cooking school over in Venice for two Staniers after she finished high school at some swanky private boarding academy in Telecherry. Interesting. Anything else? She did something that her father must have pulled a string or five for. She sipped her coffee, frowning. What did she call it? Oh, yeah. She was on the Confederated Planets Joint Committee on Exploration and Development for two Staniers after cooking school. She looked at me. I never even heard of that before, Sar, but with it being part of the joint committees, I figure her father must have arranged it for her. I bet it was cushy. I blinked at her. Exploration and development, Miss Arioni? Yes, sir. I'm pretty sure that's what she said. I see. Well, that bet on it being cushy? Don't make that bet with anybody. Why, sir? The E&D people are the ones who set up new planets for habitation. What do you mean, set up new planets, sir? Well, Miss Arioni, when a new system gets located, the Confederated Planets send out a group of people to look over the place, scope it out for potential exploitation, and begin the terraforming process that lets us humans live there. 
I looked at her suddenly, not quite sure how much she knew. You don't think we just found all these planets and systems, do you? That there's this much real estate out here set up for bipedal oxygen breathers? I guess I never thought about it before, Sar. E&D goes places that aren't quite suitable for human life and start the processes that make it possible for us to live there. How do they live there if the worlds aren't... Her voice tapered out and her brow furrowed. That's got to be very ugly duty, Captain. Yes, Miss Arione, it is. Does it pay a lot, Sar? As I understand it, Miss Arione, a lot of the people are volunteers. They get transportation, room board, and the princely sum of ten credits a day. I thought her eyes would bug out of her head. Why in the name of all that's holy would anybody do that? Why would she do that? With a small laugh, I said, maybe you should ask her, Miss Arione. I left her there, sitting at the console, watching the approaching planet and trying to get her mind around the difference between what she believed and what she knew. Chapter 40, Wellover Orbital, January 12, 2373. We docked at Wellover late in the evening on the 11th. My messages from cargo control and the chandlery left me worrying that they would both try to get aboard at the same time. I shouldn't have worried. The stevedores showed up to grab the load around 0800 and were gone by 0900. The chandlery workers showed up with an incongruous load of electronics parts and mattresses. We still needed linens and wall hangings, but Ms. Arione and Ms. Maloney were still debating decor, and I wanted to see who would win. In a test of stubbornness between either of them and a rock, I'd bet on the rock to lose. We used the lift to push all the new stuff up to the first deck. Except for the system comms boards, which needed to go into the cabinet in engineering, all the rest of the stuff would be installed on the first deck, and we spent the rest of the day laying down mattresses, putting the boxes of electronics in each compartment, and generally distributing the load. Near the end of the day, cargo control sent word that our new shipment would load late on the 13th, which gave us a bit of time to consider our next moves. At 15.30, I called an impromptu crew meeting in the galley. We were all there anyway, having a sit-down after a full day of shuffling heavy and awkward things. I started with a toast, raising my cup to them. Thank you, one and all, for your diligence and hard work. I can hardly believe the company is barely two weeks old and we've already hauled our first cargo. They made some pleased mumbles and the chief slapped the table with his open palm. What we need to do next? Install all the new electronics, buy linens for the bunks, replenish the food stocks, and maybe see about getting some wall hangings. I need to go over to the CPJCT offices in the morning and see about getting my steward's endorsement. When are we getting underway again, Skipper? Miss Arione asked. I want to be out of here by the 14th. That doesn't leave much time to track down passengers, sir. I know, Miss Arione, but it can't be helped. This shipment is due on 10 volt by the beginning of the month. Theoretically, we'll be there in plenty of time. But the last time I took a fat priority out of Welliver, I got sandbagged by fate and we missed the deadline. Miss Arione winced. Ouch. It worked out in the long run, but I'm still a little superstitious here. Ms. Maloney looked a question at me and then Ms. Arione. Ms. Priority means a penalty payment to the shipper. We ran that load for free, I told her. It worked out in the long run because the owner of the ship we rescued on the way paid us for the run. Rescued, Captain? Ms. Maloney asked. Long story, but yes, Ms. Maloney. It doesn't matter for the purposes of our efforts here at the moment. We need to get ready to take passengers, should we find some, but we need to get that shipment to 10 volt on time. I turned to the chief. How are we on tankage, chief? Right fine, Cap, right fine. Be up to tippy-top noon tomorrow, see if we ain't. How are you doing on that list of discrepancies I gave you? Working on them as time allows, Cap. I got a few of them done. Thanks, Chief. I looked at the pair across the table. 
What do we need to do besides find linens and install new consoles so the passenger compartments are ready? They shared a look, and Ms. Arioni spoke. Just those two things, I think, Sar, unless we want to go with artwork. If I remember correctly, Mr. Schubert got mine in the flea market on Diurnia. If we got time, we might be able to look here and see what we can find. I looked around the table. Ms. Maloney, we need to find you some civvies. I'd like to go out for dinner, but someplace other than the O2 deck. I have some outfits in my apartment, Captain. You have an apartment here on Welliver? I don't know why that surprised me. Yes, sir. Well, 20 kilograms is your mass limit, but right now you're at zero, so if you'd like to pick up a few things. Thank you, Captain. She turned to Miss Arioni. Stacy, would you be willing to give me a hand? I could use some help picking out things that would be appropriate. I felt the chief stiffen beside me, but he didn't say anything. Picking up clothes? Sure, be glad to. She turned to me. You're not planning on going anywhere without us, are you, Captain? I shook my head and glanced at the chrono. It's barely 1600 now. Why don't you take care of that? I'll stay aboard and hang screens. When you get back, we can grab a bite. Ms. Arioni beamed, and even Ms. Maloney smiled. They rose and headed down toward their compartment, presumably to freshen up before heading out. I stood and stretched, then went to refill my mug. Well, no time like the present, I said to nobody in particular. You going to hang out here, Chief? He shook his head. If it's all the same to you, Cap, I think I'd like to go ashore myself and stretch a leg or two. You know, take a little walk around. I thought you might, Chief. Have fun. I gave him a little wave and headed for my cabin. On the way, I fired up my tablet and zipped a reservation for us at the Plum Blossom. While I had been ordering new units for the passengers, I went ahead and ordered a set for everybody and even added one for the galley so we wouldn't have to tie up our tablets and we could keep a bridge repeater running there all the time. Under the circumstances, I saw no good reason not to start my replacements with the cabin. A few ticks later, I heard Ms. Maloney and Ms. Arioni heading for the lock. I didn't hear the chief, but I was pretty sure he wouldn't let Ms. Maloney off the ship without his escort. I still didn't understand the bodyguard fetish, but for the moment, I was willing to play along. Swapping out the console components was fast and simple, other than some initial confusion when I tried to plug the keyboard into the wiring for the electronic door lock release, the new unit went in without a hitch. The new larger monitor clipped to the bulkhead brackets without a problem, and within half a stand I had my new machine powered up. It worked very well, but the internal network was still slow, and the links to station net were worse. I couldn't quite fathom why they'd installed such slow components. Perhaps it was one of the options the original buyer asked for. It saved a few credits in the short run, but paid for them again every time you tried to do something. I bundled up the used packing material, tossed it down to the cargo deck for disposal, and headed for the first passenger compartment. There were four of them in all. Each could hold two passengers. Two of the compartments held double bunks, two held singles, for a total of eight potential passengers. When I stepped into the compartment, one with a double bunk, I had to admit that they'd done a bang-up job. The compartment was clean, freshly painted, and they'd used some of the dark blue paint to highlight some of the details. Once the mattress had some linens on it, it would look better, and the new console with an oversized display would add a bit of finish. As I unpacked the new displays and control units, I realized that I couldn't actually hang the monitors without tools. They were sufficiently bigger than the old ones that they needed new mounting brackets for the bulkhead. I didn't know the chief well enough to rummage around in his toolbox without permission. There were some places even clipper captains dared not tread. An engineer's toolbox was one of them. There were some things I could do to speed the work later. I stripped the components out of their packaging materials and placed them gently on the mattress. They'd be fine there until we got them hooked up. I then crawled around under the desk and pulled out all the clips and dropped the controller units out. I swapped the base units without upgrading the displays. 
Having made the mistake with the electronic door lock in my cabin, I managed to avoid that error and congratulated myself on cleverness just before banging my head by standing up before I had completely backed out from under the console. I left the old component stacked by the door, tossed the used packing materials into the passage, and moved on to the next compartment. I finished in less than a stand and started bundling up the trash for disposal. Having done something concrete, I found myself enjoying a warm feeling of accomplishment. I took that feeling into the shower so I could wash off the smelly aura of actual work that went with it. When I got out, I scrounged up a set of respectable but not overly ostentatious civvies and dressed for dinner. I knew where I was going to take the crew. All I needed was a crew to take. I frowned and looked at the chrono. It was pressing on 1730, and I hoped nothing unfortunate had happened. By the time I'd finished sorting through the pockets of my ship suit, grabbing the ship's key along with my ID and tablet, I heard the lock open, and a tick later the sound of footsteps topping the ladder. I opened the cabin door and smiled when I saw Ms. Maloney carrying a duffel bag slung over one shoulder and dressed in a comfortable-looking pair of jeans with a shimmering blue silk blouse under a brown tweed jacket. I admired the jacket's cut and tailoring because it captured the feel for the classic tweed, but updated and slimmed down to fit her body. Did you think we got lost, Captain? Her smile was warm and slightly playful. I was beginning to wonder, Miss Maloney, but you had enough help with you that I figured you'd be okay. She smiled at Miss Arione, climbing the ladder behind her. Yes, I wasn't sure what to pick out, but with her help, I've got a decent enough collection, I think. And she's under quota, Skipper. I just weighed her in. Miss Arione was empty-handed and smiling brightly. I wasn't sure what had happened between them, but it was obvious that something had. I looked down the ladder and didn't see anybody else. I was about to comment again, but the lock started to cycle, and after a tick, the chief walked in, smiled up at me, and waved before heading back toward engineering through the cargo hold. The lock cycled closed behind him. Turning back to Ms. Arione, I said, Well, get some civvies on. We've got reservations. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artist. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>